The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back, and thanks for joining us for this next episode of the Business of Blueberries. I'm here with my co-host and committee chair of the Innovation and Technology Committee, Rod Cook. Rod, one big area for technology continues to uh, make a big impact on the blueberry industry is the mechanical harvester. It's a technology that that is seen as a having been a leap in our industry, but it's also been a lo- around for a long time. What are you hoping growers take away from this episode? As you said, Casey, they've been around a long time. In essence, we're dealing with the same sort of machine we had, you know, in the '60s. For crying out loud! So, what is new? Well, you know, historically, machines were really designed for the process industry, for the frozen side of the deal, but because of labor because of a lot of new technology, we're now seeing these things shift over into the fresh fruit harvesting. And that is something that's quite a bit different. It's critical that they have less bruising. It's critical that they have a better way to handle the fruit, fewer drops, all of those kind of things. And so we're going to talk with both a grower and a manufacturer of equipment today and try and take a peek inside of some of the new ideas they're being applied to what in essence is older technology and uh, try to get a view of what is new. Well, I, for one, am excited about this episode, but before we dive any deeper in today's episode, it's time for the crop report. We've been meeting with a round table of growers from around North America to provide you with a weekly update of what's happening in the field. The conversations range from yields to weather to markets. So here it is, your blueberry crop report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets around North America. Today you'll hear from Rex Schultz in Michigan, Pat Gowen in Indiana, Denny Doyle in New Jersey, Doug Kramer in Oregon, Brian Sakuma in Washington, and Jose Luis Bustamante in Mexico. This report was recorded on July 29th, 2020. Hi, this is Rex Schultz, and I'm calling from the great state of Michigan. Right now we're uh, just finishing up our second round of blue crop. That's our mid-season fruit. We've uh, done all of our dukes, got them packed away, and had a had a real good harvest on the dukes. And uh, the blue crop's looking real good. Second round of blue crop handpick will be coming to an end probably at the end of this week or the first of next week. And then we'll start into our late varieties probably sometime the end to the middle of next week. Our production is really pretty much in line with last year. Last year we were at about 43.5, and at this point, and now we're at about 42 million. The only other thing I can think of to share with people is that we've been very blessed to have uh, quite a bit of hand-picked labor this year. My name is Pat Gowen. I'm a blueberry grower from Indiana. Indiana has certainly seen its share of challenges this year. What with a, a freeze that came in and, and took about half the crop on May 8th, and then we had a lot of heat and humidity as well. So through the course of the summer, it's been rather challenging, but 
The UPIC and ReadyPIC business has been phenomenal. Most growers are not going to have a whole lot of cleanup left for the, the process market because the over-the-counter sales, the public have, have consumed most of most of what we've been able to grow. That is the positive side of things. Heat and dryness, we've experienced more hot days during the month of July, I think, than at any given point in, in the, the history of the month consecutively. So we've had those kinds of challenges, a lot of irrigating going on, trying to save what we have left. Fortunately, we managed to maintain quality throughout the season, which was a good thing. And uh, we had no major issues of of COVID or, or anything like that. Again, the, the growers basically did well with consumer marketing off the farm. Hi, I'm Denny Doyle from the state of New Jersey, and we are on the last lap of our production. Uh, we're cleaning up our mid-season varieties now, all with machine, and we're into our second round of fresh on our late variety. We've been experiencing hot weather, nothing new. We've been through this before, and uh, we're going to get it done. A lot of our labor has moved on either to Maine for the wild crop and or to Michigan from our area, that they're the two spots that the labor moves to. So Jersey's on the downside and we're going to we're going to pass the ball off to Michigan and Washington and Oregon and and all the good folks out there here real soon. This is uh, Doug Kramer from Oregon, and we really appreciate Denny and New Jersey getting out of the market so that we have more areas to send our fruit to. That's always helpful. As We did it just for you, Doug. It was all about you. Absolutely. <laughs> You've always been a really nice guy, Denny. <laughs> so we have been experiencing uh, hot weather probably in the last three or four days. To combat the heat, we do have some overhead cooling, but we're moving through our mid-season varieties, starting to wrap up those mid-season varieties and move on to the later season. Yields have been both up and down this year. Kind of depends where you are and how things are going. But one advantage of lighter yields is we tend to have better quality uh, when we have those lighter yields. Things are moving along really well here in Oregon. Doug, this is Denny. How's your market holding up over there? Not in price-wise, but in demand. Do you see, do you see a backup or do you see demand? No, in general terms, it's been a good marketing year for us, not because of you guys, but our friends up in BC have had problems. That's left the door open for us a little bit more. So we've had no backups of fruit in our cold storage. Uh, as soon as we can get them packed, we have buyers looking to take the fruit. So that part has worked out well for us. I wish it wasn't the case that one area's problems is another area's rewards, but uh, more often than not, that happens in farming. Yeah, we, we, you know, in New Jersey, you know, we had a we had a good market, a good steady market all the way through, and even even continuing to this day. So it's um, that's good news. BC BC is going to come out of this. They're going to be fine. Yeah, I think so too. You know, we've because of the COVID issues, we've had additional expenses just like you guys have had this year. And so 
it's kind of nice to get a little bit more money for our fruit to cover some of those costs. This is Brian Sakuma from the great state of Washington. And like Doug, we're waiting for Oregon to get out of the way as we're a little bit behind them. We're in the middle or the last stages of harvesting dukes in the middle of rikas and almost starting our, our drapers just north of us in Whatcom County where the heat units are a little bit higher. They've already started their drapers right now. On the east side of the state, which is the hot side, they're already through their mid to mid late varieties, and I believe they're heading into their late varieties right now. Uh, the big news for Washington is both in western Washington and eastern Washington, we're having a lot of hot weather. So that's all for Washington. Hi, everybody. This is Jose Luis Bustamante from Mexico. Uh, basically, the blueberry season from Mexico is, is done. It's been very small volumes in the last couple of weeks. Officially, we are finished. Total exports right now is like 94.7 million to the U.S. And that's an, an increase from the 2018-19 season, 27%. And this is because there was a lot of plantings in the last three years. And now that these plantings are coming into production. So really, the, the Mexico deal is, is done. We have a small detail there. We export like 5 million pounds to Japan, to the Far East market. It's a market that we are looking to diversify our exports. That's it for Mexico. All right. Thanks, as always, to our growers from around North America who've taken the time for these crop reports. They are a lot of fun to record. And what I've heard from our audience so far is that it's a highlight of our podcast. So we appreciate it very much. With that, I'd like to bring Rod back. Rod, who do we have joining us on the show today? Hey, Casey. We have a couple folks today. We have a grower, uh, Noel Sakuma. Noel's a farm manager at Oregon Berry Packing. And as you may know, he's one of Brian Sakuma's sons. Uh, Brian's been on the crop report. Noel obviously came up uh, on uh, and in Blueberry Farms, worked for a large blueberry-based operation in California, prior to returning to Northwest with Oregon Berry Packing. I have to also put in a little plug here for U.S. Highbush Blueberry Tech Committee because Noel serves on that as well. We also have Brian Foote. Brian's the Berry Sales Manager for Oxbow International. Now, some of you out there may be more familiar with the Corvan name rather than Oxbow, but Oxbow is a very large manufacturer of harvesters of all types, vegetable, grape, olive, coffee, so on and so forth, hay, forage, really big operation and harvesting is their business. And they bought the Corvan operation a few years ago. Brian's based out of Linden, Washington, where Oxbow provides harvesting solutions for the blueberries and the caneberry industry. And he's got over 20 years experience in the berry industry in general. And so we're really pleased to have him take some time out of a very busy harvest season. So, so Noel, I, I'd like to start with a question for you. I mean, I know Oregon Berry Packing, they do an awful lot of exporting of fresh berries. And yet you've obviously made a decision to press forward to try to really get a handle on machine harvesting for fresh. And I just wondered, could, could you take a minute or two and, and kind of go through the thought process uh, on what you and the Malinsky family were considering when you wanted to look at, at machine harvest for fresh? 
Yeah. So machine picking for fresh will not work for export for the time being. It's just even when you do it the best possible way, there's still a little bit of bruising. And when you're putting fruit on a boat or an air, it doesn't quite cut it for the quality on that one. But for domestic fruit, we all know how competitive it's getting in the market, especially with BC and Washington State doing a lot of machine picking for fresh. So the goal really is to just be better than everyone else. Because when you have your own label, you really can't afford to have subpar quality. So what we've been doing is we've been really trying to do small scale trials in order to be absolutely sure our quality is good and not just put something that we know is going to, you know, degrade in the marketplace. So unlike other people, we where they might try to do large scale, we're trying to do very small scale, doing a lot of testing, very data driven. And once we're sure we have a really good quality product, then we're going to go a lot more large scale domestically. But even now with all the money and investment we're putting into it, this is really a small scale trial with some of the best machinery in the world. And, you know, once we feel really confident about that, we'll expand to our domestic markets. So there is really a big discrepancy with the export requiring just purely handpicked fruit. Great. Brian, obviously, you also know Morgan Berry Packers, and you know that they have some really high-level requirements of their fruit. Clearly, that doesn't fit everybody, but talk a little bit about Oxbow and their commitment to trying to improve the fresh harvest specifically on this new is it a kid? I guess I should ask that question. Is this a the fresh kid is what I've heard it referred to? Does that does that mean it fits your other machinery? Or can you talk a little bit about the changes that they're trialing at Oregon Berry Packing and several other farms? Yeah. So to start off, it is a kit. And so how we kind of got started with it in 2015, we were approached by the industry to participate in the SCRI grant. And so that was originally to be more of a harvest aid, but it kind of got us pointed in the right direction in that they utilized a harvester with pneumatic shakers with soft surfaces to see what it would do for the small grower it was originally meant for, and then to reduce the drop of the berries and the bruising. And so I think at the end of the study, a lot of the people on the panel were thinking, well, this is great, but it's just pretty slow. Could we incorporate a picking head into this? And so we did that, and then it kind of took off. The kit, you're able to use it in both our 7440 top loader and also the lower loader model 8040 as well. And so you're going to have the catcher plates, and then we looked at all the surrounding areas where a berry could possibly fall. And then we tried to basically create soft surfaces around that. Right. I know one of the big questions that's always affected machine harvesting is that consistency in the field and weather and all of those factors have made it difficult to be able to depend on machine harvesting. Everybody's had some success, but finding that ability to go in day after day, regardless of temperature change or humidity has really been a challenge because of the hard plate technology. So Noel, you've had a little bit of chance and I, I know we, uh, we actually uh, postponed the interview a little bit because you were, you were in the field 
I believe today, running this machine uh, with a kit on. Did Have you had a chance to run it beside one with and without a kit? Yeah. So this morning and actually last week, I was able to throw two tests on it. And I have a, a, a few-year-old uh, Oxbow that I was able to test side-by-side side on the same day, same exact settings. And so far, the really early results are quite promising. You know, in about a week to two weeks to two months, I'll have a much better idea of this. And these are very preliminary uh, notes because here, here's one thing is, you know, we're looking at it the day of. So you really want to look at it a week from now. But however, right now I'm seeing about a 20% difference on the fresh kit versus the other one of non-marketable fruit. That is heavily bruised fruit. So, you know, what I'm looking at from just this morning was on our fresh kit, it was 81% was uh, lightly bruised or no bruised. And on the old Oxbow, it's 59%. So that means that you're you're throwing out 41%. That's not even going to get close. And I've tried a lot of different methods on trying to reduce the bruising. So this is me with a few years under my belt of trying to get the right speed, going slow, hit coming on a quick rotation. And even with that, I'm looking at at least throwing away 41% of the fruit on the old Oxbow. So that's where I'm seeing at least a 20% gap on that is pretty promising to me. And the the real key is one of the biggest pieces of this, though, is you need to get out that 19% or that 40% somehow, or else it's going to be a disaster in the store. So what goes hand in hand with the whole machine picking for fresh is working really closely with your packer. Because without that relationship, it's not you're not going to get all the bad fruit out of there that you need to. And so that's why it's really important to you know not just ship to your packer or something, really have a close relationship and conversation with them. And that's where you know being a vertically integrated company like Oregon Berry Packing, we're able to kind of look at it from beginning to end and kind of look at it. But yeah, so from our very early trials, if you think of about a whole season, 20% more marketable fruit is quite promising. Yeah. Clearly, this wasn't a decision made two weeks ago to go in with this kind of stuff. What sort of field prep was required? Did you guys have to prune the bushes that that you've traditionally hand harvested a little bit differently to utilize the machines in? Have you done horticultural changes uh, that growers need to be kind of aware of if they're thinking about going to mechanical harvesting then? Yeah, you know, one of the things that is a little bit not the most intuitive thought is that the larger the fruit is, the easier it is to bruise. So if you come in there and you have these giant, beautiful berries, but you try to machine pick it, it just it's not going to work all that well. So we on this specific field that we have, we actually pruned it pretty lightly to try to almost encourage smaller sized fruit. We don't do that for all of our fields. Most of our fields are still primarily uh, export for handpick for fresh. So we only have a couple trial areas where we're really trying to groom the whole plant around this philosophy. But besides that, it's all about the rotation. And we haven't had too much experience or luck with first pick machine pick for fresh. We usually come around on the second pick on a pretty tight rotation after the first handpick. But this is where... You know, if you talk to 10 growers, you'll hear 10 different things about their philosophies around all these timings and everything. So 
that's where we found our best luck, but it's a really a data-driven process. So to get a little bit of sense from you, Brian, in terms of the uh, history of the harvester, uh, as it relates to the industry, just talk to me a little bit about where we've come. I mean, this is the week that uh, maybe you guys all know this, that the uh, Ford Bronco came out, the new Ford Bronco. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, you know, they're showing all this evolution of the first Ford Bronco to where they're at now with this brand new one. And, and, and I have that in mind as I'm trying to think of like, how far have we come in the technology of the harvester? Talk to me a little bit about where this harvester started in your mind, the first generation and at the generation we're at today. You know, the first generation harvesters, they would go, oh, Rod, you feel free to chime in here too. But they're going to be mid sixties, you know. If you go around <laughs> uh, New Jersey, you could yeah. still see some of the very first Harvey harvesters out there. I was in New Jersey a couple of weeks ago and saw one. What's What's remarkable about that? I, I still say Harvey harvesters. Some of them were ahead of their time. They were utilizing, you know, rotary harvesters back then, uh, but very um, high maintenance machines back then. They didn't necessarily pay attention to anything to do with food safety. And I'd say that's one of the big differences between, you know, what we're looking at today with some of the harvesters that Oxbow's manufacturing from machines even 15, 20 years ago, that Noel's getting asked a lot of questions as a farm manager, food safety, what kind of oils you're using in the machines, safety for your workers, those kind of things. And we're, we're, applying that technology to the machines that we're offering today, that they're going to meet all the guidelines for safety, both for food safety and for worker safety. And then I think that this technology in particular is some of the most innovative thing that we've seen in the harvester world in the last 15 years in terms of what you could go in and do with the quality of fruit with this soft surface technology than, than we've seen in 20 years, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I, I was going to ask you, Brian, about the, about the food safety quality. I mean, one of the historical problems with padding and all of that kind of stuff in the machines is it was really hard to find padding that both protected the fruit, but also was deemed food safe, was cleanable and had good wear it sounds like you've solved some of those issues then? Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, on some of the very first trials that we did, we were trying different materials out to see what would work. And a couple of the ones that we tested initially didn't pass the mustard. And so we had to look at some different materials. And two years later, we've sent those off for antimicrobial testing and different things and gotten materials that have passed that. And so you really have to look at a lot of them to narrow them down to find one that kind of checks all those boxes that you're looking at. Right. So, Noel, I, I had a question for you with regard to, uh, is the machine just simply being driven by labor issues or is it beyond simply trying to, you know, assist in the reduced labor market that's out there? For this farm, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to do a couple things. We have a you know a, a, a only a certain size crew, and we can only get over every you know uh, we only can get over x amount of acres. So if there are acres that we see ahead of time that we're not going to get to, we have two options: we can 
machine pick it for frozen or we can machine pick refresh and there there's a big price discrepancy there on that one so it's really seeing what potential there is one to four years out with as the technology improves and seeing right now with you know a labor force that can be inconsistent you know getting high quality fruit out of every acre you know i would like to see a hundred percent of what I do at some point in the, you know, 80% goes export and 20% is machine pick for fresh. Nothing's machine pick for frozen. And that would be a good business model. But until we can really get really confident with this technology, we're really trying to figure out which harvests fit into this model. You know, is it second pick Draper? Is it third pick Liberty? Is it Aurora? How is last call at Machine Pick Fresh? Until we are really confident that each variety on each rotation is a good fit for Machine Pick Fresh, that's the time when we're kind of doing these tests. And once we see, all right, this is the one, this is going to work well, then we'll bring it to you know a little larger scale. So right now I'm trying to find which varieties, which picks, which rotations really can fit into a high quality pack. It's to try to create a program that can be resistant to labor issues. It can be cheaper than the alternative and has the best technology on the market. And as of right now, I do believe this is the best technology on the market. You know, we've been looking for something like this. We've been asking around and uh, asking if we could make this or if, if anybody else could make it. And last year, actually, before I understood that this was this far in development, I actually just took some fresh uh, market uh, materials, threw them on the side panels of my machine and tried to build my own because I didn't think the market was going to come up with something in the near future. Hmm. So basically, I went through the process of making a piece of this myself until I realized, okay, somebody is finally building this because it's not a really complicated concept. So it It's a little surprising that it took 15 years to get to where we are, but I'm just happy that we're finally here. (laughs) So here, Noel, I will give you a magic wand. So the future trends, what do you you want to tell Brian you got to have in your next iteration of of this stuff? Are Are you far enough along in looking at this over the last few years, obviously just looking and testing this year, but if you can wave your magic wand and, and have Brian do something to improve the machines uh, in the future, what, what would you like to see him go to? You know, what I'm really looking at is just the data and how can I get closer to that, you know, handpick bruising. And this is a very statistically significant and measurably different between the old machine and the fresh kit. But as the season progresses, I might be figuring out ways to, on the farm, increase you know, the change from the old one to the new one even more. But the the reality is, is that if I could wave my wand, it'd be somehow to get that on par with that hand pick so we can ship it on a boat and let it last for uh, five weeks on a boat. You know, I'm looking at the fresh kit and I'm thinking, man, this is catching all the places that I can think of to reduce the bruising. So I'm not sure where that bruising is actually coming from. It must just be all the micro drops from here to there. And I don't know how you get rid of those, but if I can wave a magic wand, it'd be to turn it into a one drop 
and then that's it. <laughs> but but good luck trying to figure that one out. <laughs> Brian's going to figure that out, right? Brian? I was going to say it sounded sound like Brian, you you're, you're getting that, that part figured out pretty. We're trying. Pretty, uh, My well. pen's writing all these down for you, Noel. <laughs> but we we have the same goal as you. You know, at the end of the sure. day is what we want to see and been working on it for five years is, you know, the goal is to match hand quality fruit. And as you all know, we've seen just a tremendous planting in blueberries in North America and the world over the last decade or two. And how are we going to get all this harvested and the availability of labor and food safety issues? And then in 2020, throwing COVID-19 there is a need out there for this product and this technology and, and to take it to the next level and the next level after that. And we've just been pecking away at this for five years and we've really seen some great improvements the last two or three years. And we're really excited about the progress with this soft surface and the companies that we've been working with and the universities. And yeah, we're, we're going to keep plugging away at it till we get it perfect. Brian, I know that uh, in this great world of uh, corporate secrets and things like that, you can't share a huge amount. But I mean, you've you've talked a little bit about going through now and looking at ways to eliminate drops. Is is there any any little peek uh, insight on uh, what what Oxbow has planned for the future? I mean, any anything you can share with us about what you guys see in the future? Yeah, like. Because Oxbow is involved in so many different markets, we're involved with seed corn and we make sprayers and potato machines in all these different markets. You're able to learn from engineers that are in our other markets, other parts of our company of what they're doing there. And one thing that we're doing in other crops is yield mapping, GPS driven harvesters, you know, basically mapping a field. The technology is there today to do it. We're just waiting for industry to say, we want to do that. And we understand what that technology costs to get there, but we see the benefit of it, especially on like the GPS driven stuff. And I think that that's something that the machines have auto steer right now, and it works pretty good. But I think that you could get sub one inch with some of these GPS systems out there and that would further reduce the drop. You're not gonna have tired drivers. Some things that we're doing in grapes is yield mapping. You could see where maybe you're gonna have a, a deficiency in a certain part of your field is and you'll be able to map it and look at it with software after the season and go, hey, these are some things that we could do on our farm to improve our overall yields. Well, this one, I think, turns to you, Noel, uh, just as you consider a grower like yourself, someone who's been growing for fresh, considering a harvester right now, you've been in their shoes, you know, what advice would you give them as they're considering the road ahead in this business? The number one advice would be don't treat it like a frozen machine harvest. You know, this has to be thought of entirely different. When you look at a fresh harvest, the rotation, the variety, the machine, how hard you hit it, the speed you go, all of those are incredibly important. And if you don't consider those, you know, the packer is going to throw out 50% of the harvest or more. So it's not one thing. It's all the different practices that make it different than frozen. And not only does it, is it problematic for 
you know, the grower, it hurts the whole industry. If there's really bad quality fruit on the market, that hurts all of us. So don't try to just make it something work that you're used to. Do the research and try to go on a shorter rotation, hit it softer, go slower, and really try to get a, a really high quality product, I would say would be the main advice. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it. Unless Rod, you've got something else. No, I think that's great. I really appreciate your time. Both Noel and Brian, fantastic. Really, really nice to, to chat and uh, glad you were able to take the time. Thanks for the invitation. It was great to be a part of this, you guys. In honor of the 20th anniversary of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, USHBC is proudly turning the focus inward to recognize leaders of the blueberry industry. From growers to marketers, processors, and our suppliers, our industry is made up of extraordinary individuals and organizations who have advanced every link of the industry supply chain. To join us in this celebration, we invite you to nominate yourself or a fellow industry stakeholder for contributions made in the past two decades. Award nominations are due by August 21st. The winners will be announced during the NABC USHBC Conference and Expo on September 28th through October 1st. Learn more and enter at ushbc.org. Well, Rod, that was great. I really appreciated the chance to talk to Noam Brian. They were fantastic guests. And I just curious your takeaways from this episode. I think the first thing that growers need to know is obviously machine harvesting is possible for fresh, but it's still a challenge. You've got to, you know, you, you can't just buy a machine and go out there and expect to bring it in and put it in pints and, and ship it on. The technology that Oxbow specifically talked about, this fresh harvest kit has been in progress for about five years. Uh, so, you know, I, I think those are really the kind of things that we hope to see, trying to figure out how to move the needle and, and get better and better and more consistent. I think that's the, the one thing that we really need to work on with the industry and with manufacturers. We've got to find ways that we can consistently pick for fresh because it's if you can't pick every day with that then you still have to have labor available if you have to have labor available you can't rely on a machine and uh, it just doesn't make sense so those are those are important things to do and it does go hand in hand uh, with the changes that we've seen in the industry uh, different varieties uh, the raised bed technology the type of pruning we have to do those kind of things so uh, these changes our incremental uh, word from our last uh, conversation about the survey, but we can't have one area change without the others changing at the same time. I think it's incredible just listening to Noel on you know how much goes into the analysis of the success of this machine. I mean, it wasn't lost on me how much he kept bringing up the term data and how he was really trying to study the investment he made in the harvester and then the results of that. And, and of course, he's already kind of calculating the business model it has to fit in order for, in his mind, for it to be successful. Yeah. One of the other takeaways, I think, Casey, is that that whole area of food safety. So yes, you've got the horticultural issues, you've got the machine issues, you've got all of these changes, but it also has to be done with that backlight of food safety considerations, you know, finding soft materials. I mean, 20 years ago, we put padding inside of a harvester, uh, but guess what? It couldn't be cleaned properly. It didn't wear properly, all those kind of things. So, I mean, there's even these, I guess you could say technology within technology. So we had to get the right soft 
type of material that required new technology innovation before we could build a machine that would be capable of doing our harvesting. So you've got, you know, all these technologies sort of drive one another and build on the shoulders of one another. I agree. And I also think, you know, it's this conversation that's top of mind for growers right now. You know, we're facing some of this unprecedented circumstances. So food safety and, you know, profitability and, you know, this is just going to be a really timely episode uh, as we, as we, you know, continue this series of technology. So if you found this episode insightful, uh, I would just encourage you to share it with someone else, you know, in this industry, you know, we're, we're just getting started as I said, with the series of these tech uh, episodes for our podcast. And we would just really appreciate you helping spread the news that this is a resource for our industry uh, and, and something that we can, you can count on tuning into as we go forward from here. So just want to thank everyone for listening this week. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Blueberries.